0: It would be worth every mile A lifetime of labor It's still worth it all If it rescues just one more soul So preachers keep preaching And singers go sing Amen. Keep sharing that Jesus is King. The angels have gathered. They're surrounding the throne. And they'll start rejoicing for just one more soul. Because if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle. Were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all. If it rescues just one more soul, a lifetime of labor is still worth it all. Hey mi go choice. When I hear his sweet voice in the tempest, to him I then cling. There to lead
1: All right, let's, let's take our Bibles today, turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22 today. Matthew chapter 22. Boy, I like that song, didn't you? I thought he was preaching it for a minute there. It's pretty good stuff. I like that. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to begin in verse 1 today. I'm looking forward to our missions conference. I'm looking forward to Spencer Smith. Brother Smith is going to do a fabulous job. As we said, he'll be with us Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He'll be with us Saturday as well at our our, uh, dinner and also all day Sunday with us morning and night. We're looking forward to that. And uh, like I say, we'll be kicking some things off on that first Sunday before that. That's when we're officially kicking off. We've got a week of missions, basically, and uh, I'll, I'll be doing the preaching in the morning on Sunday, but then Brother Boost's going to be in on Sunday night with us, and he's going to be focusing his attention on missions as well, and we're going to have a good time as we kick that whole week off that Sunday and then move right on into Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all day Sunday again. And our real goal here this year, we really want to try to work at this, and again, we understand if you're visiting with us, this doesn't apply to you. But uh, uh, And not that we're trying to exclude you, mind you, but but you'll understand here in a moment. But when we do our, we do what's called faith promise missions. And so we make commitments to the Lord throughout the year, what we're going to do for missions. And I'm talking about individuals do this, not church as a whole. Uh, The church bases their uh, missions budget on what the people of God give above and beyond the tithes and offerings. And I know that sounds crazy to people in the world. They're like, are you kidding me? You mean people give that much money to the church? Yeah, we got folks in this church give a lot of money. And, uh, and it, it's not like it goes in the pastor's pocket. Now, I know this suit looks like it's real expensive, but actually I got it really cheap. So anyway, um, but, but the fact is, is, that, is that we do that. And so we want to try the best we can on Sunday, the, the, the last Sunday of our missions conference, uh, we want that Sunday to be the day we gather it in, and we'd like to be able to say, "Boom! This is how much we, we have for missions." Instead of it kind of dwindling on for a couple of weeks, and folks just kind of, eh, this and then this and this, and we keep letting it build and build and build. Which I know some of that's going to happen. We get that, okay? Some folks may be out of town or whatever the day we take the offering, but we would really like you to begin praying now about what God would have you do, so that when we get to that day on Sunday the twenty-first, man, we can we we can go bam. You know, I mean, we have most of it in, you know what I'm saying, almost all of it. That's what we're really focusing on, trying to work at. And again, we just are excited. I think you're going to enjoy Brother Smith. He's been here before a few years ago, and uh, he's going to preach the week. And then we have a number of missionary families we're hoping to get in. We're still waiting some confirmation on a few of them, but uh, we're hoping to have some families with us sharing in that week as well. It's going to be a wonderful week of missions, and we don't want you to miss a moment of it. Man, put it on your calendar, put it on your schedule now. Don't don't miss it. You're not going to want to miss this. All right, Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. Now, let me just say this real quick about parables. You know, I've read before and and I've kind of adopted the philosophy of we could call them not parables, but terribles. You say, Why? Because they, they can be tricky, tricky to understand if you don't understand and look at the Word of God honestly and sincerely. Do you know when Jesus was telling these, these uh, scribes and Pharisees these parables, when he was giving these parables out, he was doing it to trip up the religious elite. He was like, you know what? If you guys really don't want to believe the truth, if you really don't want to follow suit and, and apply the word of God and you don't want to acknowledge me as, as Savior and uh, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, and you're not willing to do that and you're only trying to trip up others that do want to believe and you're trying to mess them up, then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some parables, terribles, that you're never going to understand, dude. You will never get these parables. You'll never understand these parables. Unless you come and approach them with a sincere heart, a real desire to understand my intent for them, my heart, my goals, my word, my truths. There's a lot of people that want to understand the Bible, but they don't really believe the truth. They don't, they're not willing to accept some of the realities of Scripture. Well you're going to have a hard time. And in these case, we've have a parable before us now. It's going to be a little tricky. And I'm going to do my best in a very, very, very short time to kind of give you doctrinally what's taking place. And then I want to make a spiritual application to the passage, because that's what I want to focus on today is the application, not so much the doctrine. But notice what he says here in the passage. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come into the marriage. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. We could look back in history and we could see evidence of these things taking place. I don't want to go into it in detail, but think about 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was totally and completely annihilated and destroyed. Because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. We go on here. Then saith he to his servants, verse 8, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore, we're not worthy, who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jews. We keep reading. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye find, bid to the marriage. Do you think maybe those refer to Gentiles? Remember? I mean, I'm just saying. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as, all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. They're the guests now. And when the king came in to see the guests, He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. So now we have these going out, gathering everybody and anybody they can get, finding anyone who will come. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment, and he saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a scary verse if you're mixing up who he's talking about. Man, if you somehow come to the conclusion that he's talking about the believer in the church age, if you somehow believe he's talking about you and I who are called the bride. We're not called guests at any point. We're called the bride of Christ. So he's not talking about me and he's not talking about you here, obviously. This, of course, is a parable and it has to do with the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says. And that's extremely important because the kingdom of heaven is a literal, visible kingdom. And those in Christ are in the kingdom of God, however. We're in the kingdom of God, a spiritual kingdom. The Bible says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Now, again, note this guy in question. He's not the bride. As believers, we're the bride. The wedding feast took place after the wedding, by the way. There was a wedding. Then there was a wedding feast in Oriental times. So now this is not the wedding itself. This is the feast of the wedding. Already the marriage has taken place. Already the bride and the groom have been put together. Now we have the guests coming to the dinner. As a result, the parable isn't teaching then that a saved man or a saved woman can lose their salvation in this dispensation. That's not what it's teaching. It's not saying you need to be afraid as a believer because you may get up to heaven one day and realize that your garments aren't clean enough, realize that you just didn't do enough, that somehow you don't measure up, and as a result, you're cast out into outer darkness. That's not what it's teaching. Because it's not applying to you. You're the bride, you're not a guest, first of all. And by the way, it doesn't even say necessarily that he's a guest, he is a man. Again, the church has been raptured out in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. And I'm trying to set the tone as far as doctrinally speaking, but the church is raptured out. If you read chapter 4, the church is raptured out from that point. You do not see the church from the first verses of chapter 4 until you see Revelation chapter 19. And while that, while while judge, the judgment seat of Christ is taking place above, down on earth, there's great tribulation. There's tribulation taking place. And we understand that. We know that. We know again that in this church age, people are being called out by faith and, and by grace through faith into Christ Jesus, and, and they're the bride of Christ. And then there's going to be a tribulation period after the church is raptured out. While the church is in heaven being judged at the judgment seat of Christ, on earth there's tribulation taking place. And the last three and a half years, the Bible designates it as great tribulation. And what we're going to find is that that at the end of that tribulation period or close thereabouts, those saints that endured to the end, those that came through the tribulation, will be raptured out too. That's why people are making a mistake with post-trib raptures. And they're messing up with where they're placing the, the, the saints being taken out. Some today are saying somehow that the saints of God, you and I, the bride, are going to go through the tribulation period because they see evidence of a rapture at the end of the tribulation. Guess what? There is. But the fo- point is, is it's not the bride. It's going to be the guests that come out. So... It's interesting to note that this man without a wedding garment is, call, is not called a guest. I think that's kind of interesting already. Now, again, I'm not exactly sure who he represents 100%. I'm not sure if he represents a tribulation saint who's at some point failed to endure to the end. And instead of settling, instead of, instead of going through the tribulation and, and being consistent and faithful throughout to the very end or death, he ends up taking the mark of the beast. I don't know if that's who he represents. Or if somehow it's literally Satan himself who once again slithers his way into the presence of God and tries to wreak havoc again. Because there's interestingly enough, how it's described in the parable certainly fits him being bound hand and foot and cast out. It's interesting some of those characteristics and qualities that we see with Satan and how his demise and how his end will come and how it's described here in the parable. They do fit similarly. How or why? I, I, I'm not exactly sure who this is 100%, but I can tell you who it is not. It is not you and it's not me that have put our faith and trust in Christ. Now, I may not have that all settled, who that person is, that man, whether he's one of the guests that failed to endure to the end and tried to sneak on in, and the king said, uh-uh, you don't have the garment. Get out. Because see, in early days, in those days, the the, the, the the person who was throwing the party, so to speak, provided the outfits as well. So here we have now a few things about the man that I want to understand. and And Again, I don't understand. I don't know exactly maybe who he is. One of the two probably. And I lean toward the latter. I, I do. I lean toward him being Satan. However, we can learn a few things inspirationally from the passage. And that's what I want to do. I want to try to take the passage and under, just make an application. And so I think we can learn a few things about the man Again, he's not in a wedding garment. And the king had provided each guest with a wedding garment, but this man was not wearing the garment. So when the king arrives, he sees this intruder, and he casts him out. So what do we learn from that? And that's what I hope to discover this morning. A couple of things we learn, and then make a very brief application. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll consider this man and what we learn from the man, and we'll go from there. Father, we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us. And, Lord, may this uh, simple little truth that we're going to to try to present today, may it truly impact our lives. And, Lord, if there be those that are lost without Jesus Christ, have yet to receive Christ, have never allowed you to wash their sin away and to completely, Father, be redeemed, By the blood of Christ, may they settle that today before it's eternally too late. And for believers today, may we understand these simple thoughts and may we apply them to our reality and our truths in our world today and our lives. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So here's three things that I think we learn from the passage and from our man to some degree. Number one, you can never hide from God. Again, the king's there, right? We have the king now and we have this man And and he did not bear, he didn't, he's not wearing the wedding garment. He's trying to filter in and kind of blend in with the rest. However, when the king arrives, he saw a man in the midst of the crowd. He could not hide from the king. I think of Adam and Eve back there in Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, would you please? Because see, this goes back to the garden again. We find examples throughout scripture where people somehow thought they could simply hide from God. And Adam and Eve are those two people that tried to do that, of course. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. We know that they had transgressed the law. We know that they disobeyed God willingly. We know that they ate of the fruit, even though they were told not to touch of it, not, or not to eat it, excuse me. So what they do? <laughs> we'll see here, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They had already transgressed the law. They had disobeyed God. Now look what's happening. They heard the voice of the Lord. He's coming to speak with them. He's coming to fellowship with them. He's coming to meet with them again. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Do you think God knew where he was? Of course he knew. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Why would you be afraid of God? I guess the only reason is if you had transgressed his law. Why would a child be afraid of mom or dad? Because he's disobeyed their commands. And he says, oh boy, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He's not only fearful, but he's ashamed. Boy, I'll tell you, sin will do that to you. When you transgress God's law, you'll be afraid of God and ashamed before him. And so in this particular case, he's hid out now. He's in the midst of the trees. He's hiding, and he thinks somehow he can hide himself from God, but the reality is you can't hide from God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked, interesting wording, and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And by the way, we all have something to do with God because he created us. So you can, you can never hide from God. That's a principle we learn from our passage. That's a principle we learn from the man who's trying to blend in with all the other guests and yet the king comes in to the midst of the, 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 the feast and says, Whoa, 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 hey, I see you. You don't have the garments on that you're supposed to be wearing. You can never hide from God. Number two, what else do we learn? You can never fool God. You and I can never fool God. Now, I don't know what the others there at that particular wedding feast thought about the man. I don't know if they thought he was doing some kind of labor. I don't know if he was changing the trash. I don't know what they thought about the man without the wedding garment on. But the king could see clearly that he didn't belong there. Now, I may not have gone up to that man and said, hey, by the way, uh, you don't have the garments on. You probably ought to leave. I may not have said that. I don't know what he's doing there. He could have fooled me. I may have uh, somehow believed that he belonged there like that. But the king walks in and knows without a doubt, hey, listen, you're not fooling me, buster. You don't have the wedding garments on. You don't belong here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. In Proverbs 426, we read an interesting passage and it parallels, or at least it connects with Proverbs 521. 426 says, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. In Proverbs 521 says, For, why why should I have all my ways established? Why should I ensure that to be the case? I'll tell you why. Proverbs five twenty one: For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. You're not going to fool God. You're not going to travel a path that he doesn't know. You're not going to get away from him. You're not going to, as we said, hide from him. But you're not going to fool him either. You're not going to be able to say, but God, huh, we did, you know, like they did in Matthew, remember? Chapter 7. But Lord, we did many marvelous works in thy name. Lord, we cast out demons in thy name. Lord, we did this. And he says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Yeah, you're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. You're not going to bamboozle the Lord. You're not going to get over on Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You can't hide from God. You'll never hide from God. You can never fool God. What else do we learn? I touched on it. I just said it a second ago. You never get over on God. You never get over on him. I don't know. You may have gotten over on your teacher at school. You may have gotten over on your parents. You may have fooled a bunch of people. You may have been able to get over on on the boss at work or somehow squeeze out of a bad situation and get over it. Uh, But this man, when he was confronted by the king, (laughs) the Bible says he was speechless in in verse 12. He was speechless. He had no defense. He knew he couldn't get over on God. He knew he couldn't somehow talk his way out. He knew it was just flat over. Why? Because the king... Was talking to him. He had nothing to say, and you know what? You and I have nothing to say before a Holy God. You don't. You don't get over on God. Hey, we have an example of that in Scripture. Think about Saul and the Amalekites. I mean, we've got old, old, all those Amalekites in Saul. He's supposed to take Israel and fight and battle with Amalekites. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel, turn there in 1 Samuel 15, would you please? 1 Samuel chapter 15. Amazing. An amazing passage. It speaks to the pride of man, the arrogance of man. Even those that are in positions of authority and positions of, of preeminence even. How quickly we are to turn to ourselves and justify our own Failures and sin. In 1 Samuel fifteen two through 3, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now listen, I know, I know, if you're not a Bible uh, believer today, you're having a rough time with that. And even if you believe the Bible, you may say, man, God is so harsh and God is so evil. we try trying to t- love people around here. I thought he's supposed to be a God of love. Uh, well, I don't have time to get into all of it, but let me just say he is. The Bible says the Lord knoweth them that are his. I'd make sure I was his. 1 Samuel 15, we move down to verses 7 through 9. And so Saul, he smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, That is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, is that what he was told to do? Of course not. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. You know what? I, I know that I'm not preaching on this, but isn't it interesting that when we go out into the world in which we live, how quick we are to, 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 to level accusation against big sinners and talk about how this that's a nasty sin and that's a horrible sin and it's such a wretched sin. But there are certain ones we like and we just won't get rid of. Oh man, I mean to tell you, we'll get rid of the big boys. Ah, But some of the little ones, you know, we can hold on to those. They're the goodly ones. That's basically what we see in a spiritual context. We see here basically Saul now and the people. Man, they understand. As he says here in the passage... Um, but everything that was vile and refuse from their perspective, mind you. Not God's perspective, because he already told them what to do with everything. But in their mind, there's some things that were extremely vile and refuse. They destroyed that, of course, but they came to their own conclusion that there's some things that are, as it puts it, the best of the sheep. And all that was good, they spared. You know, we have sins in our life that we view as good and God views them as refuse. So we're going to move from that. But we see here a passage now that's going, it's explaining, it's describing what took place. They did not destroy everything that God had told them to destroy. They did not ex- completely annihilate all. They didn't wipe out that which was, had been the enemy in that sense. And now we find here <laughs> that Saul is going to be approached by a prophet. And that prophet comes to him and says, Say, hey, how go the battle? How was it, friend? And he says, boy, it went great. We did exactly what God said. And in the background, he's going, Bah, ba. And the prophets say, what what is that? What's that I hear? Hark, is that a sheep? And he says, oh, no. Like how I did that? <laughs> That's no sheep, man. I mean, well, okay, so you know what? Agag the king and, and some of the best sheep and some of the best this and best that. We kept some of it back. It, the people, you know, I, I, I'm trying to appease the people and, You know, you can't get over on God. (laughs) He sends God's man to the king and man, man, the man of God says, man, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but the people and yeah, this and yeah, that. uh. you're not getting over on God, friend. And neither am I. We're not getting over on him. So we learn a couple of things here. As we look at the man in this parable, we learn a few things. You can never hide from God. You can never fool God. And you can never get over on God. So let's make an application. I have two questions I want to ask you this morning. Two questions then. Here's the first one. Are you real? Are you real? I'm looking over the crowd today and I see a group of wonderful... Well, not I don't want to lie here. But I see a group of fine specimens of humanity. I was going to say good looking, but... My... But no, really, in reality, you are a sharp-looking crowd today. Many of you are dressed nice, and those that aren't in ties and suits are at least dressed nicely. And you've come to the house of God looking to worship, and you're here today to serve the Lord. And man, I'm telling you what, everybody looks fine, and everybody fits the part, and everybody's just perfectly in their seat and listening to the preaching and the music and everything. And man, I mean to tell you, from outward appearance, wow, what a crowd. The question, however, is, are you real? Not just how do you look on the outside, but are you real all the way through? See, remember, you can't hide from God. You can't fool God. and You can't get over on him. He knows if you're real or not today. He knows if this thing you call Christianity is real or not. He knows if your Christian life is real or not. He knows if your relationship is really real or not. We may look at you and say, wow, they're a good Christian. Wow, they must really be solid with God. Wow, they're really in with the Lord. But the truth is is you may be fake and you may be phony and you may not be real at all today, but you look like you are. Are you genuine? Are you authentic? Are you real? Is what you portray the real you? See, never doubt that God knows the truth. He sees you the way you really are, both inside and out. He knows whether you're saved or lost. He knows whether you're consecrated or carnal. He knows whether you're sincere or sneaky. He knows whether you're faithful or fake. He knows. Turn to Psalm chapter 139, verse 11. The psalmist is going to share something with us that is helpful. It's so easy to fool people, isn't it? Really. Now we know the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. In time, it'll come, you know, the cream rises to the top, right? But the fact is, is that we can fool people. But you'll never fool God. Psalm 139, verse 11 says... If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness as the light are both a light alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. But we have a psalmist that is just praising the Lord for the fact that He created him. He says, Man, while I was still in the womb, you knew me, you were forming me in that womb, by the way, babies in wombs are humans. And they have souls. The passage proves it right here. My substance, verse 15, was not hid from thee. Man, God saw, he's saying God saw me in the womb. God knew me before I was ever even born in the sense of entering into the world, the world in which we live. I was still safely cocooned in my mother's womb and God knew me. He knew everything about me. He goes on to say, My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written. He's saying, well, I was still forming, and I didn't have all the limbs that I have now, the way they're supposed to be, and I didn't have all those things. It was already written. I've got him. Here he is. He's a person. That's good stuff. And he goes on to say, when as yet there was none of them. See, if God knows you before you're born, wouldn't he know you after? Jesus dealt with those that appeared to be nothing short of perfect outwardly, but were not inwardly. Over in the book of Matthew, just let me read it. Verse 23 through uh, 23, chapter 23, 27 through 28. I'm sorry, Matthew 23, 27 through 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Huh. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. But within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Well, I'll tell you what, let's not, let's not think for some, some, even a moment that, that, so to speak, the Pharisees, so to speak, are not with us today. I mean, that look good on the outside, that appear to be holy and righteous, but inward, mm, ain't the same thing. I mean, listen, that's what he's talking about. And, and the question is, are you real? Or are you a whited sepulcher today? Is what appears on the outside genuinely and sincerely, what's on the inside? Or are you just trying to cover it up? You really got a bitter spirit. You really got an angry heart. You really got hatred hidden there in your heart. You may even have, have the desire to sin and you're finding yourself lusting after the things you shouldn't lust after, wanting the things you shouldn't have, not really being genuine. Oh, I love Jesus, but really you love the world and you're just hiding it well right now on the outside, but inside, ooh, are you real? Well, that's a good question for all of us to ask, isn't it? I mean, would you be embarrassed if a group from the church stopped by and saw what you were watching on television? Or heard the way you spoke to your husband or children? I mean, would, you, would your behavior change or your attitude be altered if a good family from the church moved in and stayed in your home for a while? It's funny, that would cramp my style. Would it cramp your style because you had to put up with sin Or sinful behavior or sinful deeds, and have to try to temper their behavior? Or would it be yours that had to be tempered? If you were on camera as part of a reality series and the whole world would be watching, would they see you as a Christian, the kind of Christian you are here today, or something altogether different? Are you real? Are you real today? Sir, are you real? Ma'am, are you real? Teenager, are you real? Child, are you real? I have a little saying that goes like this. You never have to worry about what hat you're wearing if you're real. You're sincere. If you're just yourself. It doesn't matter what hat. I don't care if I'm the preacher doesn't matter if I'm a husband. doesn't matter if I'm a father. doesn't matter if I'm uh, um, 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 when I used to work, when a church first started working as an employee. It doesn't matter. Whatever hat I've got on, I don't have to worry. Well, I'm a preacher now. I've got to watch how I talk. I've got to watch how I act. I've got to watch how I live. Gotta, oh, I'm a, I'm a husband right now, so I have to watch what I say and what I do around her. And, and oh, I'm a, I'm a father right now, so I have to be a good father, and I have to do this, 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 and this. But really, that's not who I... Hey, listen, I never have to worry about... You don't have to worry about that if you're real. Don't matter what hat you got on, you're just yourself. But you ought to be a Christ-like self. So, are you real? Number two, and as we close this, we have to close quickly. It's really the probably the biggest part of the message, (laughs) but we're going to do it real quick. Are you ready? I mean, we got a man that's in this wedding feast and, and I mean, he's meandering about and he's trying to fit in and the king recognizes all, right off the bat he's not in the right clothing, he's not in the right attire, he hasn't somehow gotten the, the, the memo. He wasn't ready. Are you ready? Because every last one of us are going to meet the king face to face. Every last one of us have to to go before him and answer for our life that was lived. And whether or not you are church-going or whether or not you read the Bible, whether or not you believe in the Word of God, it doesn't even matter. The reality is is that we are creations of God. And as a result of that, we're going to have to face him and answer to him for our life. (laughs) Oh, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Especially if we have to do it in our own selves. See, there is an eternity that awaits each of us. You can't fool God and neither can I. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. From the first man that was created. And then we know he removed a rib and made Eve. And the two of them were called Adam. We know that they had eternal souls from that point on. And they would live forever. One way or the other. The truth is is that everyone's going to live forever. The question is, will they Live or die forever. Really, we say live, but it's going to exist forever. The Bible breaks it down: either eternal death or eternal life. See, you're going to exist forever because you're an eternal being. That's how God created you. That's how He created me. People try to say when we die, we go into a grave and that's the end of it. No, it isn't. Some of the Bible teaches. He breathed into man into the nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He now is going to forever live. Now, hold on. Interestingly enough, he's a living soul, but there's going to be something that takes place there in the garden that causes him to die. We know that he was told in the garden, you can eat of every tree that's in the garden except the one that's in the midst. The day that thou eatest of that tree, thou shalt surely die. And we know that at that point he was removed from the garden and separated from God because of his sin. He began to age and he surely died but see more than that it was the separation from God that was the problem and when we read over in the book of 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 Romans chapter 6 verse 23 and it says the wages of sin is death and we are all sinners friend you and I know it if we're honest with ourselves we know we don't measure up to God's perfect standard we know that we don't follow the word of God and the commandments of God as we ought to every time we look at the word of God and we recognize the standard that God says sets for us we know that we miserably fall short of that it makes us sinners. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And in order to understand that word death, you have to run right over to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, when it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So a man, a woman, literally dies physically, and if not redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, dies spiritually as well, separated forever in a place called the lake of fire. That's the penalty of sin. Are you ready though? I mean, this man was bound hand and foot and cast... (laughs) into outer darkness. I'm wondering today, when it comes to the end of your life, will you have prepared for that? Have you made yourself ready by trusting and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, by allowing the price that he paid on Calvary, by dying, being buried, and rising again? Have you allowed that to be the payment for your sin, not your church attendance, and not your Bible reading, and not somehow being kind and benevolent to people, not being a good person and trying to find the favor of God in your attitude and your actions, but simply saying, I'm a sinner, God. I can never do anything to repay you. I can never do enough to earn your favor. I'm simply a sinner deserving hell. I need your mercy and your grace. Save my soul. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And the world's turned that phrase upside down, but let me tell you, the word of God's still true. There has to be a new birth, a supernatural regeneration that takes place that only God can do. You don't turn over a new leaf to have your sin forgiven and be part of the family of God. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It says in First Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed or bought back out of sin with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's the blood of Christ that washes a man or a woman's sin away. Don't be fooled into believing that your only hope of escaping the lake of fire is doing your best to please God. It'll never get you there. See, Romans 4, 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. He'll never be right before God until you totally rest. Rest. In the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him and His sacrifice as payment for your sin. Titus 3 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 2 8 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God says, no one's going to get the glory for you getting to heaven but me. And therefore, it is imperative that you place your faith and trust in me. You already are a sinner. You're already, already in a position where you can never please me in and of yourself the only way you can please me is by trusting and receiving me. And then I will transform and change you into the person and the, the, the creation I want you to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. And then you can begin to live for me. Then you can begin to bring glory and honor to me. Boy, we all should be doing that. The way is simple, but it is specific. But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." He goes on to say in Romans 10:13, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." Are you ready? If that trumpet sounded today and all those in Christ would be taken out and the tribulation would begin, are you ready to be taken out? And you're only ready to be taken out if you've already been admitted into the body of Christ by faith in him. Trusting and receiving him as your Savior and Lord. And then when He the trumpet sounds, out you go. Are you ready? Are you ready if this afternoon you closed your eyes in death? God forbid. Are you ready? So, today, as we close, those two little questions are you real today? Believer, are you real? Today, are you ready? See, the king shows up, sees a man who was not prepared for the feast and didn't belong. What does King Jesus see when he looks at you? Maybe we need to deal with a few things today. Maybe we need to admit that we're trying to get over, we're trying to hide, we're trying to fool God and confess those things as sin and face it and deal with it. And today maybe we're without Christ altogether. If the trumpet sounded or if we closed our eyes in death, we wouldn't even make it to heaven. We would live on in the sense that we never cease to exist, but we wouldn't be forever in eternal life with God. We'd be experiencing eternal death in a place called hell separated from God. Let's settle that today. If you're lost today, get saved. As soon as the music begins to play, you make your way forward. Meet one of the fellows up front. They'll have a lady, if you're a lady, show you from the Word of God how to be saved. A guy, a guy, show you how to be saved. If you need a little more time, we'll slip off into the corner somewhere, give you a chance to ask questions, whatever you need to do. We want to be thorough with you. We want you to understand. And it's a decision that only you can make. No one can force you into it. It's your decision whether you trust and receive Christ or not. No one can make you do that, nor will we ever try here and you're a child of God today, you need to settle some things. If you're not real, if you're living two lives, if you're fake and phony in an area of your, your life, and it's just a show in some area, you better settle that and deal with it because you're not fooling God today. Father, we come to you. We ask Lord you'd bless us, help us in this time of invitation. Well, thank you, Father. May you convict the sinner of their need of salvation. May you convict the saint of the need, Father, to be right with you today to be completely real, honest, and sincere, not to be trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes, not to try to put on a show, not to try to pretend to be, but to simply be who they are. And that ought to be a child of God striving to please you with their life. And Lord, if they're not doing that, may they settle it. May they confess whatever it is that stands between them and being right with you today is sin. And get it right today before they walk out the door. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.